You're listening to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. We're on part two of Psalm 51 in our Psalms of David series. Now, I got to say that last week was an interesting adventure for us because we were supposed to get on to this particular episode last week. And unfortunately, we stepped into kind of a technical (laughs) failure of epic proportions, and it kind of set us back on our production schedule. I do apologize to those listeners who tuned in expecting to hear part two of the series this last week and got a repeat Mm -hmm. of the first episode. I don't think it's a bad thing because I really do hope people catch what we were saying about the significance of chapter 51 of Psalms. And I do want them to be thinking on what David is saying, what he's not saying. And you and I delved into that a lot Mm -hmm. last week. So I encourage you folks, get back to our website at CompassionRadio.com and check the podcast section. We'd love to have you hear it, comment on it, get involved in this conversation with us. I think we talked about some really significant things concerning this psalm and how even for myself growing up, not really understanding what was behind this confession, this lament. For me, it was always like, oh yeah, Psalm 51, that's one that you memorize. That's one that we use a lot of times when we confess our sin or when we beg God to create in us a clean heart. That's part of this chapter. And really learning what's behind it all gives me a new perspective even on David's life and how he was confronted with such an egregious sin, such a horrible situation that he was in, that he had created himself. Him realizing or him being convicted deeply in his spirit about his horrible sin. As an artist, his confession is not private. Exactly. He writes songs. Everything about David seems to be public. And maybe this part of his character that he decided that whatever happens to me in this lifetime, I'm the people, I'm God's You own all of it, Lord. So whatever you need to say about me is an open book. And he literally wrote the song to write the book. And we still use it today as our Psalter, as our singing book, as Mm -hmm. our worship manual, from which pretty much all of other Christian worship has descended or has emerged from. It is the Psalms of David that really anchor the worship all the way from ancient times to present day. It's still having an influence Mm -hmm. because there's something about the character of the songs themselves which are so revealing. But, you know, if we didn't have the histories of the Old Testament, the Samuels and the first and second kings, to look at the life of David in context with the other kings that came from his lineage, we wouldn't understand more of how profound these changes were in his life and in the life of a nation and the consequences of sin not just sin as we understand, missing the mark or making mistakes, but transgressions and iniquities, the things we commit ourselves to, that we just spite God by doing them. Mm. And what happens with those things? And then how gracious God can be about helping us on the road back to repentance, giving us a way home, a way to find him again in the midst of all of this torment that we've created for ourselves. Mm. I appreciate that about David. We also made a point on our last program of identifying some distinctives about David's confession. This is not the good confession. It is incredibly well-crafted, but it also comes at the end of a long period of denial. Mm -hmm. And so many of us do go through some form of denial. I don't want to admit that I did something or even face the music. I certainly don't want other people to find out about it. And I really don't want to trumpet it and make it common knowledge in the middle of a worship service. And yet David did go all that distance 
And God maybe forced him in that way, that he built David in such a way that he couldn't keep it in. He was just going to be like a volcano, possibly, or at least effusive. He was going to express himself. He couldn't not express himself. Yeah. And it's to our benefit, mm-hmm. but it's not to our example. <laughs> and what, what David, do you mean by that? What David does here is beautiful poetically. But the reasons he waited so long to even own up and the murders that came out of his iniquities, the death and the destruction of families, the death of his own son, the reputation of the woman who became his wife after he brought her into the palace, having murdered this woman's husband. It's a destroyer reputations. The reestablishment of Bathsheba over the years was very difficult, if it ever happened at all. Mm. I don't know that she ever got her reputation back. She was a victim here in every way, and yet she's blamed even by theologians thousands of years down the line for being some kind of temptress. Like she forced David to sin with her mm-hmm. and against God. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture, but people believe that. Mm-hmm. So David's behavior corrupted this woman's reputation and literally destroyed her life before she became his wife. Mm-hmm. This is not a pretty picture. That's still happening in the world today. Maybe if we learn something important from this, it's this. Sin still destroys, and it takes a God of resurrection to make something happen that's good of this. Mm. But it's not what David did that was good, or even his confession that was good. It's God that was good in all of this. Absolutely, honey. A couple of things we're going to recap from the last couple of verses that are still big questions for us. It is important to note, as many good theologians have done over the centuries, that this book was not written by us. Is this not in our language? We're reading a translation of ancient Hebrew of a guy who experienced something and expressed it in his native tongue. It was not written for us. Mm. In other words, we are not the first people to see this. This is looking over the shoulder of a king thousands of years ago as he had to deal with God on God's terms mm-hmm. and reconcile the disgruntledness of God in the situation, find a way back to peace, back to relationship. Yeah. Well, and we know historically from Scripture that this didn't solve everything. Mm-mm. This confession of David did not make everything happy and yeah. good. This was not restoration. It was a confession. Absolutely. From this point on, David's family is still a mess. Yeah. His sons rebelled against him. Because they had no respect for him. Yeah. And one of his sons even took his own half-sister mm-hmm. and raped her. He had no respect for people. And he probably learned that in some ways, from his father, David. So we know that this is not a magic bullet. This is not the thing that makes everything great just because David has confessed this and has owned up to his sin. But we do know, or we can say just from reading this, or at least I can, this is a pathway for restorative relationship with God. As a first step, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a way to bring about my confession in some ways that says, okay, God, I acknowledge that I messed up, that I harmed others and myself. I've broken relationship with you and with another person, and I'm going to own that. And I don't see very often that we do that in today's world. We don't often own up to our harm of others. And even when we're caught 
red-handed. We often want to justify ourselves. Or say, it's not what you think it is. Or I don't accept the consequence or the responsibility. The responsibility of it being wrong. Mm. And the rest of society says, we all agree that what you did was wrong. And you can't accept that. But either way, justice is going to come for you. If anything that David accomplished by his confession, being caught red-handed, was at least he was able to say, God is right, I was wrong, please forgive me. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that's the beginning of the kind of restoration and healing for David. The nation may get past this, so to speak, but they're not going to get over what David did to them in their generation. And David certainly is not going to get over what he did if he does not own up. And there has to be reality in the equation here, or nothing's going to change. Yeah. Well, the consequence of the actions are still evident. Yeah. We've kind of beaten this one to death, so we'll move on to a couple <laughs> more points. Verse 5 and verse 7 have a couple more thoughts we did not cover last week. The first one is, in verse 5, David says, For I was guilty from the day I was born, a sinner from the time my mother became pregnant with me. That's a heavy statement. Mm-hmm. And it's a deeply emotional one. And it seems real familiar with most of us who grew up with a particular view of atonement and forgiveness and sin that was taught to us by a certain section of evangelicalism that emerged out of the 16th and 17th and then the 19th century to a particular understanding of God's justice and a very distinctive view of his mercy and forgiveness. Mm, Well, sinners in the hands of an angry God from Jonathan Edwards. It is the foundation of our spiritual fabric of our country. We look back to that moment, and Jonathan Edwards was not something new in America. He was the outflow of the Puritans and other religious groups that had migrated to America. We get this impression that we have like one seed that planted as spiritual fruit in the soil of America, and all that grew in America came from that one seed. It's not true. Mm. The Puritans especially were in great conflict with other religious groups. They were an extremist group. They had been thrown out of a number of countries on their way to America. And then we celebrate their survival in the wilderness, which was not really a wilderness. It was in the middle of another tribe's territory. And the tribe that came to rescue them the first couple of years actually fed them while they were starving. But nonetheless, they survived. And in perpetuity now, they're part of our American fabric. But there were other competing views of God's grace and mercy and the reason that he would put us on this earth that came from other religious groups that also, for other reasons, migrated to America and set up different colonies. The reason why we had so many different colonies in America is because of all these diversities Mm -hmm. of religious expression that were showing up on our shores. So we have to understand that there's always been a multiplicity of religious experience and views of God, the reasons we're here, and how to read the Bible, how to live it out, Mm -hmm. that have been part of the mix of America. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry. These are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time business hours at 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. 
We have to understand that there's always been a multiplicity of religious experience and views of God, the reasons we're here, and how to read the Bible, how to live it out, Mm -hmm. that have been part of the mix of America. This particular doctrine that looks so familiar to us, I was guilty from the day I was born, a sinner from the time my mother became pregnant with me, is what we would call the doctrine of original sin. Mm -hmm. It is lifted quite sincerely from this particular verse and then is amplified with other scriptures and developed into an entire systematic theology. I would say that we have to be very, very careful with this one particular verse to hang a very heavy doctrine upon. Not because sin is not important or it is not consequential. It is. Transgressions and iniquities that build upon sins have destroyed lives and humanity for centuries and millennia. Mm -hmm. But hanging one doctrine on this particular verse is really, I don't think, fair to David or to the Holy Spirit. Because think about this. David is in the middle of a confession. Mm -hmm. He is fessing up to a sin that he realizes he's been caught red-handed in. He is emotionally emoting his abjection at his own sin, what it's caused to him and to his family and his broken relationship with God. This is the lens he's writing this poem in. Right. He did not sit down and say, okay, what do I know about God's mercy and grace? And what do I know about sin and where it came from for all mankind? He's not talking about all mankind here. He's talking about himself. Mm-hmm. We have felt this way too. Woe is unto me. I'm the worst of sinners. I've really screwed up now. I've blown it. Mm -hmm. I am the worst. Yeah. Well, we see Paul confessing that even. In the same kind of language. Right. I can't believe I keep doing this thing. I don't want to do it, but I keep doing it. Man, I am just a worm. When we express these things, these are poetic expressions. They're hyperbole. In other words, we're saying something about ourselves that we feel because we believe this about ourselves at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that we read the Word of God and said, oh, this is the state of all human beings, therefore I am this kind of human being, therefore I agree with this doctrine. It's saying, I feel this way right now. And if there's anything you and I have learned the past five years about studying this subject is that our emotions are not liars. They absolutely tell the truth about what we believe at that moment, Mm -hmm. what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world. It may not be the truth, the big truth, but it's still very real to us. Exactly. Give some credit to David for being able to express what he felt right there. And I would encourage you, don't let that one verse define everything you believe about God's nature. We're talking about David's right now, okay? Let other voices be able to speak to you about how merciful and loving God is, even when we sin. And don't necessarily get caught up in a doctrine that says God is always angry at you. Mm. And therefore requires this atonement that he had to wheel it out on Jesus and beat him to death on the cross. There are many sections of Christianity that are acting like this now. And truth is... From the very beginning of Christianity, this was not a doctrine that the church adopted. It was one that evolved over time. Mm -hmm. And it had a lot of work being done on it to refine it, to try to make it fit with all the rest of the other experience of Christian church over all these centuries. So it's a bigger picture, friends. I'm not saying that it's not there. I'm just saying that it's not the whole picture of who God is. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not the whole picture of what God does or how he chooses to act, or what justice and mercy mean to God. So just let David be David right here, Mm -hmm. and then consider that there may be other 
views, other experiences of other believers, other disciples of Yahweh and his son, Yeshua, that have led them to a different way of looking at the relationship and how God pursues us. Mm-hmm. That he doesn't necessarily pursue us, first thing, with the rod. He may be pursuing us like a parent first, like a lover like somebody who has our best interest at heart, whether we even realize we deserve it or will ever experience it, that God is a pursuer of us, not as a sheriff, Mm. but as a redeeming lover. Mm. What freedom there is in that. And that's the consequence of the whole counsel of the Word of God. Kind of harping on this one right now because I think it's a big deal. I don't want us to get stuck in what David says about me. Because David's not talking about me right here. I may read a lot into it by spending time with his words here, but David is talking about how he feels. Mm. And he's not, in saying this, trying to condemn his mother for being a sinner and giving him bad genes, spiritually speaking. Right. He's not talking about his parents. He's talking about him. Yeah, yeah. I think if we read even more of the Psalms, we'll see that, David is speaking about himself in the most part. He laments so many Mm -hmm. things. There's so many times when David says, oh God, you've deserted me. You've Mm -hmm. left me hopeless. You've left me in the pit. And if David tells the truth every time, then God is a deserter. Yes. Yeah, exactly. He's telling the truth about what he feels. Let's capture that that thought. Yes. (laughs) Another thing to pay a little bit of attention to is verse 7, where David says, cleanse me of my wickedness, which is a great way of putting it in the voice translation. Cleanse me of my wickedness with hyssop, and I will be clean. Mm. You know, hyssop is quite the thing. It's used as a symbol. We as Westerners don't grow a lot of hyssop. We don't see it on the street corner and say, oh, that's hyssop. I know what that's good for. We'd probably pull it up if we saw it. We may smell it in a garden once in a while. I have no idea what it is. But at any rate, hyssop had a significance in the Old Testament. It was used ceremonially for a lot of things. But it also had a history before it was even used ceremonially. Mm -hmm. And David, as a shepherd, knew its uses because he was a shepherd. (laughs) Hyssop had many medicinal purposes, and he, as a shepherd, would have known that it literally is medicine. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be just something that you would just swing around as a decoration. You would literally take the hyssop plant, the flowers, the leaves, grind them up in a pestle and make a poultice that you would literally rub on wounds mm-hmm. on a sheep. If it had been scratched or had been bitten by some animal, if it had cut itself on a rock. And a lot of antibacterial properties. That's why you would use it. Yes. You grind that stuff up and make a paste out of it and smear it on a wound. It may sting like all get out because it had a lot of camphor. And as a shepherd, he could heal his sheep and he could smell the healing happen. Mm. Instead of smelling infection, you would smell the smell of this hyssop being used as a bandage and as a curing agent for the sheep that needed it. He knew what hyssop was good for. He also knew his significance ceremonially being used to sprinkle the blood on the doorpost every Passover. Mm -hmm. He knew the thing in the field practically. He also knew the thing in the temple of God mm. and how God looks at it and used it. It was also used like an epicac. You could mm. mix it into a tea yes. and drink it, and it would literally make you vomit sometimes. If you drank it, it strong it, enough, if sure. If you had something in your stomach that was upsetting it. Right. 
And I like that David says, purge me with mm. hyssop, because that's the visual yeah, that you get, get when you know that hyssop is used for this as well as right. cleansing and healing properties and, and ceremonially. So that's just a side note, but understand that for David, anything he brings up as an image in his poetry is because he's got tactile experience with it. Mm -hmm. The guy doesn't talk about things he does not know and does not know intimately. And there are things that David brings up and historically in the ancient scriptures that we don't really have context for in our modern society. We typically are not going to go out and gather plants. I mean, I know people that do this, but are not going to go out and gather plants and forage and find these healing herbs and plants and weeds and whatever out in the forest to use use as antibacterials or other kind of healing properties. That's why we go to the pharmacy. That's why we go to the doctor. Yeah, Yeah. and we're learning more about the property we're living on here in Idaho, that we just learned that the yarrow that grows on our property as a springtime flower is something that actually is quite valuable. People Mm -hmm. use it as all kinds of healing things as well. It's used for different kinds of sicknesses, but Mm -hmm. it's a valuable product. And those who would gather it would say, you know, you could sell those plants and make some money off your property. No, I'm not going to start farming yarrow. But it's kind of nice to look at things and discover as we go along, learning about things that grow on our property, Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of value here that's beyond what I even knew was possible. It's not just about wood on trees. It's it's the flowers themselves more than just beauty. They have medicinal and other purposes that are worth something to somebody. Well, it reminds me too, honey, that God has made provision for us Mm -hmm. in so many ways because the science was different and we might say more primitive than what we know now at the time of David and even throughout scripture, throughout the New Testament as well, and hundreds and thousands of years up to this point. God still provided a way for people to use the earth and plants and things around them for healing purposes and for ceremony that represented him and his cleansing and his love for us. Right. So I think that we can learn from that, not just that, oh, this is a thing that David is saying and what is hyssop and okay, whatever, this is what it means. No, there is significance in it. And everyone reading this at the time or singing this hymn in the temple at the time that David wrote this is going to know exactly that it means this is a healing, purging herb that he's using. It's also for the temple. This is a plentiful plant around us, so we use it to bring glory to God in the temple. And you can smell it. Yeah. Last thought on that. You know, back at those times, fragrance was a mystery. You know, we understand just from going to basic biology and science classes in our schools that fragrance is made up of chemicals that are actually floating in the air that lodge in our nasal passages, hit our glands back there, all factory sensors, and they evoke something in our nervous system, which then is registers as a signal in our brain that says, wow, that was rose. That was cinnamon. Mm-hmm. That was a ham sandwich. <laughs> that was something. <laughs> right. Your brain knows these things by sorting out all the chemical signatures. David didn't know this. The ancient cultures had no clue what actually made fragrance. It was a mystery that emanated from something. Mm -hmm. And its mystery had power. So when you speak about the power of hyssop, people say, I know what hyssop is. I've smelled it. Mm -hmm. I've seen what it does. I don't know how it does it. I don't know why it smells the way it does. But God says... As hyssop is a healing agent, use it to signify my healing of you. Mm -hmm. It becomes a metaphor. It becomes a vessel of a truth that God is the healer. Mm -hmm. God is the fragrance. 
And he says, bring your fragrances in the temple. Your burnt offerings to me are a fragrant offering. But more than anything, your obedience and love and devotion to me is the greatest of fragrances that rises to the highest heavens. Mm-hmm. You know, God is showing us by the things he knows about how he made us that the mystery is still powerful yeah. because the mystery is him. Well, and scientists will tell us that the greatest form of memory mm-hmm. is evoked through the sense of smell. And the second one is like music. Yeah. Put those two together yeah. and you got the life of David right there. There's a fragrance and a melody in his life mm. that has resonated for centuries like and will continue that. to, I'm sure of that. Yeah. And you may have noticed, friends, that that means we're wrapping up our second episode in this series as a recap and an expansion on the first verses, verses 1 through 7 of Psalm 51. We obviously did not move on to a new section of that chapter yet, because as we discover, as we talk about these things, every time we talk about the Scripture, the Word of God, there's a whole lot more we could say, a whole lot more that evokes something in our hearts as we look at it that expands, does not contract. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to put this thing in a small cup and say, this is what it means. This is it. It's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom is the word of God. It will grow in us as we read it and as we share it together. You and I learn a whole lot more together yeah. than we do separately. Yeah. And that's the same for you, friends. Find somebody you can study with or can read a scripture with or spend time over coffee and just discuss it. That's what we're trying to do for you by example. Make use of it. Build a friendship. Invite somebody. Take a risk and say, if you've never had someone sit down and actually just discuss the Word of God with you as an equal, not as a teacher telling you what it says, but exploring it together, we encourage you to try it. Mm -hmm. That's our hope with this whole series of Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word, is that you would chase it with us in your own time, in your own pace, at your own favorite place. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow on the next Compassion Radio. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.